I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are so excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, I hope you're doing well. It's been a while since I've seen you. We're still recording these via a clean feed or uh, kind of remotely, so I hope you're doing well. I'm sorry that I can't see you face-to-face, but uh, thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you, Mike. Mary, I hope you're all doing well in the midst of uh, uh, this peculiar time. Yeah, yes, indeed. Archbishop, uh, how, how have you been? How was your last month? As I understand it, you went on a recent retreat. Is that right? I did. Uh, I was able to get put a few days together, and I, I went on retreat. And actually, I wound up having to spend most of it in, in a kind of a quarantine. Well, in mm. quarantine. I had been at a gathering where it turned out somebody tested positive for covid Oh, and so uh, it was providential. I was already scheduled to be uh, uh, alone, <laughs> alone, and I was even more alone. Oh, man. oh that's funny. <laughs> uh, wow. Everything worked out okay, though, Archbishop. Yeah. No, okay. I, I don't have uh, I don't have uh, any symptoms, so that was fine. And was it a personal retreat that you took just by yourself? Um, I did. Or, it, okay. uh, yeah, I. Uh, used uh, writings of a, a French uh, spiritual author named uh, Ebe, and uh, he, he has, it, it's the uh, record of conferences he gives based on uh, the spirituality of St. Therese of the Little Flower. Mm, beautiful. Wow. Very nice. That's awesome. So do you, when you do that, uh, Archbishop, do you just kind of go off to a you know, like a lake house or someplace on your own and just kind of spend the time in prayer and reading those types of things and meditating on them? Yes, kind of and, I try to, and I try to be pretty disciplined about my day mm-hmm. uh, to be sure I spend uh, at least uh, four distinct hours in uh, contemplation. Wow. How often do you get to take personal retreats? Well, I try to do it every year. I mean, okay. the, the obligation is for all of us priests to do a retreat every year. Awesome. So we have started um, schools. So public schools have started. Catholic schools have started. Um, homeschooling. I'm homeschooling this year. We're all in a little bit of a different reality with our schools this year. Our Catholic schools started last week and this week. Um, do you have any messages for students and teachers, many of them who are returning to school for the first time since March, so it's been a while, and under very unusual circumstances? Well, certainly uh, I uh, to welcome back to everybody, whatever back is, as you say, Mary, it's going <laughs> yeah. to be different for different right. people. Right. But it certainly, uh, it, this makes the project of education all the more challenging in this new context. And I think uh, as a, uh, a priest, one thing I can say to everybody is uh, the effort we put into this will give God glory. And that's really what we're made for, is to be sons and daughters in in God's Son, Jesus, and to, along with Jesus, give the Father glory. So the hard work, the effort we make, and certainly it takes a great deal of extra effort, uh, is uh, not only a, a payoff in one's own preparation for life, but uh, it pays off in glorifying our Heavenly Father. 
We were able to speak with a Catholic school teacher on Friday, and he was explaining some of the things that his school has done to kind of rise to the occasion. And he described it as awesome. And he said it was like really awe-inspiring to see what our Catholic schools have done to be able to safely meet in person and to put virtual programs together. Have you been able to see a little bit about that or read a little bit about that? Certainly read about it. Uh, yeah. And I'm very appreciative for uh, what our school leadership has done to make it possible for us to uh, begin in uh, in-person uh, teaching, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful to everybody's uh, for everybody's efforts. You know, uh, we talk about works of mercy. Education is one of the great works of mercy. It's put a little uh, uh, baldly in uh, the spiritual works of mercy: instruct the ignorant, but. Uh, <laughs> That's all of us, isn't it? Right. And yeah. uh, it is a great work of mercy, and it's a work the church has always cherished very deeply from the very beginning. Wonderful. Archbishop, today, actually, we don't normally say when we're recording, but uh, today we are actually recording on September 8th, and obviously we remember on that day the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin. I know in just a few days um, we'll honor her name as well, and would you mind just sharing a little bit about those feast days and, and how they came about and what they mean to you? Well, uh, Mike, uh, I appreciate that you gave me a heads up, so I was able to do a little bit of research about it. <laughs> and uh, uh, the scholars tell us that uh, just as we have for John the Baptist to celebrate his death and his uh, nativity, so uh, the church has had an instinct to do the same for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hmm. Uh, and uh, to celebrate her birthday, as uh, the dawn. This is the great image that's used throughout the liturgy, that Christ is the sun, uh, the great new day, and the birthday of the Blessed Virgin is uh, the dawn that uh, uh, promises this new new day. Uh, I think the uh, reading from Romans that's chosen for the Mass today is beautiful. It talks about God's plan and how each of us is planned by God to accomplish something for him. And so what's true for Our Lady is, by analogy, also true for all of us. Uh, each of us is born to accomplish something great for God, and we look to Our Lady as our example for that. Do you do anything special to celebrate uh, the Blessed Mother's birthday, or have you in the past? Yeah. <laughs> I give her a present, Mary. I <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we make uh, I have we to make say, cake for, uh, for me. The principal way I, I uh, keep the birth her birthday in mind is yeah. uh, through the the liturgy of the hours and uh, the sense. Holy Eucharist. Yeah. But I, I think this would be a great thing for kids to celebrate. Sure, I oh, guess that's, you yeah. know, that's always my angle, right, Archbishop McNeron? <laughs> so this morning we woke up and we have our, our cake baking materials on the stove for when I get home at lunch. We're going to make her a little cake. So I suppose that type of celebration is more appropriate in families with little children than it would be for you at the rectories. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. But you know what's, what I really like about that, Mary, is it makes uh, it... Uh, translates or, or uh, expresses membership in the church as truly a familial uh, uh, mm. reality. That's great. 
It's true. Yeah. I, feel, I find that our church calendar is is so helpful for families to be able to kind of make the faith come alive, you know. And so days like today are, are a win for, for young families, I think. so. Well, as long as the cake turns out okay. It's true. You never know. And Archbishop Vigneron, I'm, I am not a baker, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Very good. Also, you know, there's another Marian feast day coming up, too. Uh, Which is, yeah, tell us about that. Well, that's on the uh, on the twelfth, the uh-huh. celebration, Isn't it the twelfth, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've heard. the feast of the Holy Name of Mary, and uh-huh. it's really an opportunity to uh, appreciate once again how often we call on her by name uh, mm-hmm. in the life of the church, and really it's a part of the heritage we have from uh, Israel. Uh, a person's name is that person made present to us. And so we invoke the holy name of Mary so often in our prayers. Yeah, that's a good reminder to um, to focus on her name and her role, right? So right. that's awesome. That's She's great. a great example to us. Uh, sure. And not only, I think, intercession, certainly, but also think of Our Lady as a prayer partner. Uh, and uh, the rosary, of course, is a great way for us to be engaged with Our Lady in prayer. Mm-hmm. She was a champ, is a champion at prayer. She's, she's very good at it. You know, she's yes. the Olympic star. <laughs> the Olympic star of prayer. I love that. We had an episode, I think last season, where we talked pretty specifically about the Blessed Mother. And, and that was a big focus that you had shared with us to kind of walk with Mary in our, our daily lives and our daily experiences. And I know that that's enhanced, um, you know, my spirituality. So it's good to keep that in mind. Today, we have the privilege of talking about the sacraments of the church. And this month, as a a church in Detroit, we've kept a little bit of a focus on the sacraments and some of our publications and things because we had a bit of an unusual situation. Just to give people a review of what happened, um, at the beginning of August, the Vatican Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith issued a note on baptism clarifying that we say we baptize, clarifying that saying we baptize instead of saying I baptize invalidates the sacrament. A now retired deacon of the archdiocese has indicated that he used the invalid we baptism formula, we baptize formula for more than a decade at St. Anastasia, resulting in hundreds of invalid baptisms of the parishioners there. One of these individuals, Father Matthew Hood, had recently seen a video of his own baptism and realized that he was invalidly baptized and therefore invalidly ordained to the priesthood in 2017. While his sacramental situation was quickly remedied, the people from Father Hood's ministry realized that some of the sacraments they thought that they received um, from Father Hood weren't valid since he was not a validly ordained priest. When uh, I heard about this, I just could not even believe the uh, predicament that we were in. And I think it's a really good teachable moment. So I'm excited that this month we get to talk a little bit about the sacraments and God's role in the sacraments and our role in the sacraments, why we have the sacraments. So we're going to do a little bit of uh, a on evangelization and sacraments and what the sacraments mean. When you heard this news about fatherhood, Archbishop Vigneron, what was your initial reaction? How did you feel? What message do you have for those impacted? My uh, first reaction continues to be my reaction that this is a great injustice and we have to do everything we Mm -hmm. can to, to remedy it. 
my message to those who are impacted is uh, to offer up their, the trial of it. Uh, God will provide and he will set out the paths for us to, to remedy what, what is amiss. Uh, did you did you know the path forward to remedy it? Did you have to talk to people, or did the archdiocese have to do some research to to figure out what you do with an invalid baptism when it comes to an invalid pre, uh, ordination? Well, I knew immediately that uh, if Father Hood had never been baptized, uh, mm -hmm. confirmation for him had been invalid, and so had his ordination. Wow! And. Uh, we had to begin to think about the sacraments he celebrated uh, mm -hmm. since he, he was not, in fact, a priest. So mm. it was pretty clear on all of that, <clears throat> but I didn't want to act until uh, I had a, a group of experts, uh, people who are our own local people, knowledgeable about sacramental theology and canon mm -hmm. law, had uh, actually formulated uh, an organized plan. Right. And besides the plan to remedy it, uh, I wanted to be sure that we had a, a good communications plan that at once shared uh, this news with the faithful, because people have a right to know, but mm -hmm. shared it in a way that uh, didn't create more problems. But right. uh, we were at the same time able to offer uh, the faithful uh, pastoral care. Yeah, I think you guys did a great job with the the sharing of the information, but also trying to back it up with, you know, the educational element, kind of the personal witness and testimony from fatherhood himself. And I think all of that was really well done. I know it was a big deal. It made, you know, national news. It made, um, you know, John Allen, who is, uh, who runs the crux. I mean, he mentioned it on his own podcast as, as part, a point of news, which is, you know, obviously there's, uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers to that, which is kind of more of a international Catholic news source. So it's a big deal, but I think it's, it's also, also, there's a, a beauty in it because it hopefully can help zero in and give a um, point of focus to the beauty of sacraments and the, the need to celebrate sacraments appropriately and, and mm -hmm. in the way that Christ instilled it for us. So I did want to ask you, Archbishop, you know, um, can you explain just a little bit, especially for some of our listeners that maybe feel like, you know, we baptize, I baptize, it's such a small little thing. Um, but why is that seemingly small change, just that one pronoun, how does that really invalidate an entire sacrament? Why is it so important that we use these specific words? Well, the, the congregation, uh, which really is a group of experts uh, led by a, a body of cardinals, really, that advises the Holy Father on this. So we ought to keep in mind uh, who, uh, where this comes from. It really has the authority, ultimately, of our Holy Father, the Pope. Mm. Uh, in, words are important, and the congregation pointed out that this is very significant because to switch the pronoun implies a, a very different understanding of what the sacraments are. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the words we use, uh, especially in the, what's called the form, uh, the very specific uh, words that uh, effect the sacrament, uh, these are very important because they express the, our, our attitude. And here the point is, when the person who baptizes, and uh, the, anyone can baptize, uh, you, Mike, you, Mary, you can baptize, mm -hmm. 
But when you do that, when anyone baptizes, that person is acting in the person of Jesus. Uh, it isn't uh, the church without Jesus that baptizes. The church joins with Jesus as he performs the baptism. And that's very, very important because ultimately uh, we don't save ourselves. Uh, the church exists under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, he acts. He acts with us and in us, but he is the principal agent. And uh, the fathers of the congregation said that's why this is so significant uh, and, and needs, you know, we're talking about the difference of one pronoun, uh, but it, it's, a, it's a very significant difference because to shift it, they say, it was to have shifted the very understanding of what baptism is. I remember hearing years ago about, uh, I think it was especially in Australia, where there was a case similar to this, but the words that were being used was baptizing, instead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were saying, uh, I baptize you in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier, right? which also made it obviously invalid. Um, I know that there's obviously very specific words uh, which are meant to be there in the ritual form. And um, can you, uh, Archbishop, just kind of give us a little bit of background on, like, what are the biblical origins for not only baptism, but just kind of sacraments in general and the very specific words that tie to those sacraments? Would you mind well, expressing that a little bit? The sacraments uh, uh, are uh, instituted by Christ, and they are very specific forms of rituals that accomplish what they express. And that's what is uh, specifically different about uh, the sacraments from uh, other form from the blessings, say, of throats or uh, the blessing of a rosary. Uh, in the sacraments, Christ ha acts. He, uh -huh. he is always there to accomplish uh, what uh, he established the sacrament to do. Now, the biblical, the New Testament witness to some sacraments is more uh, rich than, than for others, but uh, there is a, a witness for all of them in the New Testament. Uh, for uh, the, uh, the form for baptism, of course, uh, we take ours from the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We take the form for the Eucharist, uh, uh, consec Eucharistic consecration from uh, the New Testament. Actually, uh, it's a, a bit of an amalgam of uh, the narrative in different parts, but it's basically uh, built on what our Lord said on the night before he died. For other sacraments, the church uh, herself uh, establishes the form uh, by her authority but in uh, establishing the form, she doesn't uh, take away the authority of Jesus who acts, uh, say, through the anointing of the sick, for example. Hmm. Well, and of course, biblically speaking too, right? The, uh, the church has that authority based off of, and you can biblically trace that authority back when, you know, obviously Christ makes Peter rock and, you know, he tells what you bound on earth is bound in heaven. And you obviously see that biblical authority being passed on and given as uh, that role of being a protector of these sacraments. Isn't that right, Archbishop? Right. Uh, our Lord himself uh, chose the apostles after he spent the night in prayer 
And we see the apostles passing on uh, that office as they uh, uh, choose Matthias, and then uh, it continues to be passed on in the New Testament through the imposition of hands, which is a, a Hebrew ri a Jewish ritual gesture for uh, sharing the Holy Spirit. It's sometimes stunning to think about the fragility of humankind and our ability to mess things up, and yet Jesus still entrusted us with this awesome task. Uh -huh. Isn't that kind of incredible, especially as an archbishop when you're leading our, our diocese and understanding the role of the sacraments? You know, we just have, there's so much humanity involved sometimes um, with this huge responsibility. In, you know, Mary, it's another way to be awestruck by the incarnation that uh, it, it's the mystery of Christmas. It's why we genuflect when we say, uh, and he became man. Mm. Uh, that uh, God himself, the creator of the whole cosmos, uh, you know, what do they say? Billions and billions of stars. <laughs> right. uh, he decided, he willed to become, a, uh, take on a, cre a created nature, a human yeah. nature. Yeah. It's the, uh, and, and ultimately, it's the uh, uh, incomparable uh, uh, generosity of God that he would, he would so humble himself to need to have his diapers changed. Yeah, uh, right. And so right. Uh, all of the rest of what you t say goes along with this uh, same kind of what we might call an ecology mm -hmm. of the uh, entrustment of these great divine realities to us poor frail human beings. Right. I mean, I think about this. I mean, that that's the, for me the uh, uh, the sense of my own being a priest. Mm. That who am I mm. that uh, I should be entrusted with these divine things? Archbishop, I know some people might uh, be listening to this. Maybe they're not Catholic, or or they might kind of say, or they 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 view the sacraments as kind of um, these rites of passage, or very uh, nice symbols, and they're kind of nice rites of passage. But um, what would you say as far as the, the purpose of the sacraments in our lives? Like, why do we do this as a church? Why is it so foundational and important? And I think this obviously ties very much to using the correct words. It, obviously, if, if it's that important that we use the right words, there's something more going on here. Um, do you want to express a little bit about that, Archbishop? Like, what are the purpose of these sacraments in our lives? It's to enjoy the saving uh, work of Jesus even 2,000 years after he walked on this earth, so that you and I uh, are no the poor, none the poorer than Lazarus or Mary or uh, mm. Peter. Mm. This is a way, I mean, everybody wanted to be touched by God, by Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is a way for us to be touched by him. Now, this is not to say that they don't mark very important moments in our lives. They, they mark, uh, for example, sickness, you know, is a very significant hour in everybody's life. But we, it is principally Christ, uh, it, it, the anointing of the sick, it's Christ who touches the sick. Uh, and uh, that, that is a great blessing to have uh, his healing, his strengthening touch 
uh, in the middle of my, my suffering. And baptism, of course, for, for so many people, <clears throat> Mark, it comes at the beginning of life, baptism of infants, but uh, that's not the only time people are baptized. People, uh, you know, we have an adult baptism as well. And it, it always marks a, a new beginning. And it marks, say for an adult, it marks a commitment. But the commitment is a response to Christ. Uh, that's not the first thing that happens, is I decide to be committed. I make a decision to believe, to make a commitment in response to Christ who has invited me. And baptism is that consecration of, uh, of what Christ has accomplished. You know, we talk um, about unleashing the gospel and this importance of uh, sharing the good news, of evangelization, of making sure people are invited and understand uh, what Jesus wants to give them. I love that you use the expression that the sacraments are a moment for us to be touched by Christ in the same way that many of the same people in the scriptures were touched by Christ. I'm not sure, though, that we always, that that always translates. Like, listening to you, I'm like, oh, every time I go to the Eucharist, it should be just this surreal moment in my life, and sometimes we, we lose that. Um, in in the day-to-day -day experience of receiving the sacraments and kind of going through the motions. So how do we truly use the sacraments and allow the sacraments to move us to this place of evangelization and understanding kind of our role in the kingdom of God with the sacraments? Well, we can always be more uh, reflective, uh, more recollected about our celebration of the sacraments. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and yet, we, we don't want to become uh, scrupulous about that either. Right. Uh, you know, it's better to come to Mass distracted than mm -hmm. to stay away because I, uh, you know, I don't have the, the full uh, uh, focus that I might like to have because uh, uh, the baby knocked over the plant and I had to <laughs> clean right. that up before we right. could get into the car. Yes. And, uh, God takes us where we're at. And one of the th great things about salvation as our Lord works it in our lives is he's happy even to take our distracted self and we offer mm. him that as well. But you're right, it's, it's, uh, that's not an excuse to be nonchalant about the sacraments. We should do mm -hmm. our very best to enter into them with recollection and our whole heart and whole spirit. Yeah. How do you see the sacraments as being um, uh, playing into evangelization? Well, uh, I think it, it's two things. One, it's the goal for evangelization. Uh, when we, I mean, evangelization is uh, offering Christ uh, to those whom he wants to invite into his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sacraments are the consummation of that invitation. We don't begin uh, the first step of evangelization is not to baptize somebody. It's about uh, well, adults. I mean, that's how we begin with children, but not mm -hmm. adults. But it's the goal, and it's the promise, say, for baptism. Uh, we, we evangelize by saying the Lord Jesus offers uh, uh, victory over sin and death and, and eternal life, and... Uh, we're going to help you learn about that. We want to invite you to share that. And 
you, you will receive it in baptism, confirmation in the Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, the, uh, the strength we need as evangelizers uh, to go out and, and fulfill the, uh, the Great Commission. That's why I like uh, the new dismissal text that we can use. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Tell people what you've got and invite them to share in it. It's funny, in the publications that followed uh, kind of letting the faithful, especially in the Archdiocese of Detroit, but it became a national story, as Mike said, um, about what happened and why it was important, I was blown away by how much teaching were both in your response and in the different things that the Detroit Catholic put out. Um, my faith was enriched by an explanation of why these things are important and the institution of Christ and the words that we use. So did you see this? I know that... Um, at first, the injustice stood out, but as a moment to be able to teach the faithful about what the sacraments are. Oh, yes, I think yeah. that's really very important uh, for, for uh, us to, uh, I mean, uh, one of the things that we, the Synod said is we need to be con uh, focus among other things, on evangelizing the evangelizers. Mm. And it would be a shame if, if somehow what we're going through was seen as mere legalism. Sure. It's in fact a way to announce the good news that Christ acts in his church and yeah. uh, he, he, he's faithful to that. He's not going to let us down. Uh, right. In spite of uh, the, whatever unworthiness uh, the minister brings or we as recipients bring, uh, now the more worthily we receive, the more he's mm -hmm. able to act, but mm -hmm. uh, he will always act in the sacraments. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when I first heard about it before I read anything, and I've been involved in the Catholic Church quite heavily for 40 years, my first response was, well, isn't that a little bit legalistic? Like it was just a gut reaction, you know, that, that we need to redo all of these things. And then... And, and then allowing myself to be taught and to remind myself of what I know to be true, that it's Jesus that, uh, that is the one that is doing these sacraments and his words. And that's why we don't have the ability to change words. It's, it's not something we can do. And, and that's a grace. It's not an inhibition. Mm. Uh, it's not inhibiting our freedom. But mm -hmm. this is a great gift uh, mm. that we can have this confidence in him and put our, ourselves uh, in, in the background. Mm. You know, as Mary said, I think sometimes we can kind of get, um, you know, in our faith, we just kind of go through the motions and we don't stop to necessarily think about on a deeper level or reflect on our deeper level about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And sometimes, um, you know, the, the, the details and the distinctions that are made about these things help us to better appreciate the beauty of what we actually have. So, Archbishop, I wanted to ask in, in that light, you know, um, what actually happens or, or doesn't happen when a sacrament is invalid? You know, what, what are the distinctions there that make something valid or invalid? Well, uh, a sacrament can be invalid because uh, the form, the, the words uh, are, are not uh, uh, sufficient. It can happen because the, uh, the matter the material, the ritual gesture, and the way it's used are not uh, appropriate. And it can also be invalid because the intention of uh, the celebrant is not uh, uh, appropriate. It, it's deficient. Um, the occasion can still be an occasion of grace, 
but mm. it's accomplished uh, through a different uh, sort of uh, causality. It uh, becomes a little bit like a, a sacramental at that point. It it uh, it can be a moment in in which in which Christ acts, but it isn't the same way as if he acted uh, through the efficacy of of the sacrament itself. Right. And in Father Matt Hood's case, the fact that he wasn't baptized, like you said, it meant that he wasn't confirmed, which meant that he wasn't validly ordained, right? Right. That's, I mean, it's stunning when you think about that. So what would you say, because there's hundreds of people that have been affected by this very personally, that they aren't confident anymore that they receive the sacrament of baptism. What is kind of your response to that, to the uncertainty or to the worry, and how should they respond if they uh, were close to this parish, or even not at this parish? What if people are wondering now, well, I had this priest that didn't always use the right words, so maybe this is me too. How do we even respond to that? Well, we have a task group that's uh, helping on this, Mary, and uh, if anybody has uh, has a, a concern about uh, the sacraments in their life, uh, they should uh, go to this on the archdiocesan website so just go to the archdiocesan website and it comes right up at the uh, uh, the item is pastoral care regarding the vatican's note on baptism and uh, there's if people have a question they can uh, fill out a form and somebody will get back with them to help them uh, with uh, uh, with their doubt archbishop i know that saint thomas aquinas has um Obviously, he's a man of distinctions. He likes to think deeply on these things and help us to better appreciate them by making various distinctions. And uh, one of the things that he obviously uh, has instructed us through this, the Summa Theologiae is uh, the idea that um, God has bound himself to the sacraments, but he himself is not bound by the sacraments. What, what does this mean uh, exactly, and how does that apply to kind of this situation or, or anybody else's situation who's, who perhaps was maybe invalidly baptized or invalidly received any sacrament? Well, it, it doesn't make up for the invalidity. Uh, that's what that first part is about. God has bound himself to the sacraments as the sacraments, mm-hmm. but not bound by the sacraments is a way to say that God can act apart from the sacraments. Mm. Uh, that's very, and so, uh, so I was trying to get at with my remark earlier that even the uh, invalid celebration of sacraments can be times of grace. God mm-hmm. can act apart from, uh, from the validity of sacraments. We, we aren't obviously, uh, aren't expected to rely on that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but we can have confidence in in God being at work. Yeah, I always like to think of that too. God is a, a just God. So if if I, in good faith, believed I was baptized properly and as a child, and then have lived my life seeking to live that out and become the saint that God's called me to be, and then I die and go to heaven to find out that I actually wasn't validly baptized, you know, I like to think that God, being a God of justice, will judge me accordingly, that he, again, Oh, for certain, certainly. Yeah, right. And in virtue of your good, and in virtue of your good intention, he will have uh, been very much at work in your life. Yeah, but it's such an interesting. I find this moment to be so interesting too, though, because that's so true, of course. But also, we we don't want to be presumptuous with God either, and that's why I think we, if we know that uh, sacrament has been invalidly um, done, that we would 
have the actual sacrament take place, right? Because right, you don't we would wanna, remedy it, right? right because, oh, there's a duty to do that, right? Like, yes. it would be easier maybe to say, well, God will figure it all out in the everlasting kingdom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there is, though. I think that yeah. part of us wants to, uh, maybe part of me sometimes can be tempted to think that. But it, when you, it's like that. When you know better, you do better. Like if you if you found out that something happened. As much as it could cause scandal, because I'm sure, Archbishop, there's a, there's a level of scandal when you announce that hundreds of people were not validly baptized, right? That we're still going to do this because we're not presumptuous with God's grace, and we're bound by what he has put forth for us. Right, and, and yeah. uh, people deserve uh, this truth, and, and uh, it's a truth about the reality of the sacraments. What do you think that the faithful, just in terms of everything we've kind of talked about today, um, Jesus's movement within the sacraments, uh, being touched by Christ within them, seeing this very obvious uh, instance of humanity and, and brokenness being a part of uh, the sacramental mystery, what is, what, are, what is something we can all take away from this situation? Um, I think uh, we can take away uh, a kind of confident humility that uh, Christ is at, in our midst uh, through the sacraments, and we uh, we are uh, are called again to appreciate uh, the the reality of His uh, working through them. Uh, oftentimes, in in spite of our uh, uh, our limitations, uh, and I think especially we can think about that uh, with. Uh, um, those who minister the sacraments, that the power of the sacrament is not dependent on the talent of the minister, mm. but that it, uh, it's Christ who, who is there. I think that's a very, very important point. And that leads me to another question that I was just thinking about as I kind of were, was reviewing notes for this. When when young men are in formation for the priesthood or for the diaconate, um, how important is it to kind of teach the form and make sure that the form is kept as is um, for the integrity of the sacraments? Is that a piece of formation as, as men are moving through the seminary? It's essential, sure, yeah. Mary. No, yeah. It's very, very important. That's why <clears throat> when Father Hood uh, saw the film of... Uh, the home video of his baptism, <clears throat> he knew there was a problem. Yeah. And you did, you, I mean, you, did you preside over his ordination? His, uh, his priesthood ordination. Yeah, his priesthood ordination. That's just incredible. What an incredible yeah. uh, moment. Like, and I love that you attach the word humility to it, uh, recognizing who we are and who God is, you know, uh, and the way that he can work, but then our duty to um, respond to that. Is there anything else you want to add um, as we kind of, end our conversation on this moment in time in the church with this situation with Father Matt Hood? I think to uh, have confidence that out of uh, this mess, God will bring good. Uh, he, uh, he permitted it, uh, and uh, he didn't will it, but out of, uh, out of his providence, he can bring uh, great good. Uh, and I know it, it causes a lot of people suffering, and I deeply regret that. Mm. But uh, God, God will advance his kingdom uh, through all of this. And then I think to thank God for the sacraments, which is also to thank him for the church, that uh, we don't invent the church. Uh, 
it's not like uh, the church is a voluntary association uh, where we come together and we make it uh, a reality that uh, reinforces what each of us uh, has as a goal. But the church exists uh, before us, and it's uh, the spouse of Christ, and the Lord invites us to be part of, to be married to him by being part of the church. Well, thank you for sharing about this. Mike, did you have something to add? I was just going to say, and just listeners, I know Archbishop mentioned it earlier, but if you yourself are just kind of concerned about your own validity of baptism, um, anyone that would want to desire more information or help, they can uh, go to the website aod, www.aod.org slash sacraments update. Uh, that's where they can fill out that form the Archbishop mentioned earlier. And then also please know that most parishes that have uh, the Archdiocese believes are impacted by this. Um, those parishes have been contacted, and the people who believe that this might happen with uh, have been contacted. So uh, I know the Archbishop and the Archdiocese is doing all it can to try to remedy any issues with this, but if you are, like I said, in uh, any concern yourself, please visit the website and fill out any form. is the time that we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, questions that the faithful have submitted. If anyone listening has a question, please consider submitting it to eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. When you submit it, make sure to leave your name and the parish that you attend, and we would love to be able to have an opportunity to read it on air. So are you ready for some questions, Archbishop Vigneron? I am, Mary. Okay, here we go. Cecilia from Our Lady of Sorrows asks... What do you see as the role of young people, high school and especially college students, in the church? How can they add to the work of the church, and how can they help church leaders? Youth itself, Mary, is a great gift from God. Uh, Every period in our lives is a providential moment, whether it's uh, uh, being middle-aged, whether it's being old like me, (laughs) or uh, being a a young adult, uh, a teenager. And so I think... uh, Youth uh, brings with it the great gift of enthusiasm. And St. John Paul used to also talk a lot about the gift of uh, looking out into the future and having aspirations for that. So I think that's a particular gift that young people can give to the church. Uh, I mean, they are part of the church. They're not second-class citizens. They're full members. Uh, They perhaps don't enjoy the same level of leadership that they might uh, once they're in their 40s or 50s, but uh, they bring this uh, future uh, orientation to the the church. I also think they they have a a special uh, competency in uh, the media, and they can uh, be very good and helping the rest of us think about how to use the media in order to share the gospel. Those would be a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. Oh, I guess in the third thing, and this has to do with looking out to the future and aspirations, one of the great gifts that young people have is uh, the discernment about uh, the, uh, the path in life that they are going to take. And a a contribution they can make is to prayerfully consider what God's will is for them and to make their life choices in terms of what will please Christ. 
that is perhaps the most important thing they can do to build up the church, is to be faithful to uh, the vocation they have at this particular moment in life. And that vocation is uh, to think about where God is calling them to end up. Well, that's an important piece. I love that you referenced John Paul II, uh, Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II. I was a, I was a teenager when he was a pope, and um, you know, got to go to several World Youth Days with him. And I just, I remember when he would talk to young people, when he would talk to me, I really felt like he was personally talking to me and trusting me with the enthusiasm and the joy and evangelization and all these big things that we sometimes are thought of as, you know, people in their midlife or older are the ones in charge of this for the church. And uh, he just had a way of really making me feel personally engaged with the direction of our church and who our church is and my role as a disciple. You know, I wasn't, uh, so many young people were not accidental to him. You know, it was, it was we were necessary to the church. Exactly. Uh, you know, part of uh, uh, our confidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church is that the church doesn't get older, she just keeps getting young. <sighs> and I think that uh, the young people in the church are uh, uh, in some ways uh, an icon of that mm. truth about the church. Uh, and uh, I, I think young people oughtn't to uh, lose sight of the fact that they're a great source of encouragement to old fogies, they're a sign <laughs> that there's a, that the church is headed into the future. Mm. I meant myself as an old fogey, neither <laughs> of you. I don't know, we're getting there. <laughs> That's great. I like what you said about the discernment piece too. You know, I mean, as, as we walk with young people and, and, and watch them discern uh, God's call, hopefully they're discerning God's call for them in their future for employment and, you know, marriage or religious life or priesthood. Or as we view them do that, it reminds us to always be discerning God's will our own, uh, whether we're middle aged or whether we're older. Uh, it's just a constant movement. So I, I like that. That was great, Archbishop. Archbishop, I have another question for you here. This is actually from Vicki from Corpus Christi in Detroit. And she asks the question, uh, what is one of your favorite movies, religious or non-religious? For uh, religious, it's the Song of Bernadette. I love that mm -hmm. movie. I think it's really beautiful uh, depiction of uh, the role Bernadette had as an evangelist. I've come in more and more to think of uh, Lourdes as a center for evangelization. That first of all, Our Lady was sent there by her son to announce uh, the good news of his mercy. And then uh, she recruited Bernadette to help her with it. So I, I, I love that movie very much as a religious movie. And uh, a movie that's not religious that I like very much is called uh, Gottsford Park, which is a, a kind of a murder mystery, but it's uh, really more of a study about uh, English country home uh, murder stories. Oh, interesting. When did that come out, Archbishop? Oh, I don't know, Mike. It's, I think it's uh, super I think, old. No, no, I think yeah. it's maybe it's the 80s. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah. We should do a movie night with our spouses, Mike, a double date okay. where we watch that. So Sounds good. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Sandy from Our Lady of Good Counsel asks this. How do we know when something is placed, how does someone know when something is placed on their heart that it is truly God or truly of God? There's a long tradition uh, in the spiritual life called the discernment of spirits. Uh, 
precisely to assist us in this. And uh, one of the great uh, uh, experts at this is St. Ignatius Loyola, who uh, gave a set of rules for discernment. Uh, perhaps the simplest one is God will never put anything in your heart that contradicts uh, the teachings of the church. If you uh, uh, feel, were inclined to receive a, a message that uh, led you to uh, contradict the teaching of the church, you could be sure that doesn't come from God. Uh, a second thing is uh, God's not going to ask you to be disobedient uh, to appropriate authority. He may ask you to address something to authority and even uh, present to authority uh, someone in authority, your parish priest, uh, uh, a spouse to the other member, uh, you know, to, to her spouse, his spouse, uh, say, you know, I've got this idea, but you have to, uh, you have to create harmony and communion. And then uh, other uh, things to look for are, does, uh, does the inspiration, besides is it harmonious with the teaching of the gospel, does it bring you peace? Uh, does it uh, uh, offer a kind of a, of a consolation, uh, which is not necessarily some sort of giddy uh, feeling, but just a sense that, that this has a rightness and uh, I can be at peace with it. And then another very important step can be to present your inspiration uh, to, uh, to your confessor uh, who can uh, uh, probe and ask questions and help you see what God is uh, trying to accomplish. And were each of those things that you just laid out, does St. Ignatius of Loyola go through each of those, or were, was that just a reference point that he'd be good to... No, no, uh, he, he articulates them much better than I have. That's great. It's such a good... Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm sure if you, if you Google uh, Ignatius Rules for Discernment, uh, you'll be able to find them. What yeah. a good and relevant time to talk about that. I, I find that there's a lot of just confusion um, right now. I, I personally am experiencing a lot of confusion, so it's good reminders of concrete things that we can do to be able to properly discern spirits and know where God wants our hearts and our minds and our souls. So that's super helpful. And it's very important uh, not to uh, uh, overlook this because <clears throat> this is the way God uh, advances the life of the church and mm. uh, is going to advance, advance evangelization. In a thousand hearts, he's going to inspire a thousand different uh, uh, initiatives that mm. people can take up. You know, it might be the simple initiative of uh, who, who did God put it on my heart to invite to come to uh, uh, a Bible study with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, Archbishop, I just have one last question here for you. This is a question from Katie at St. Genevieve and St. Maurice. And she asked the question, how do you deal with the pressures of being an archbishop? <laughs> the, the heart <laughs> that's a great I question. Liked I this love that question. question. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Very good question. Um, one of my uh, a priest who was my colleague in teaching at the seminary, uh, who then went on to be the Bishop of Madison, uh, Bishop Marlino, used to insist on two things for every priest every day. He'd look in the mirror and say, uh, I am not the Messiah, and two, 
people have no right to expect me to be the Messiah. Mm. And so it, it's, it's the, part of it is an act of humility mm. that I'm not the Messiah and that lets some of the steam out of uh, the pressures I, I mm. might face. That God is, uh, God is at work, he will accomplish his purpose. Uh, if, I, if I do my duty every day, uh, he, he will bring about uh, the good he wants to accomplish. And uh, I was talking about the teachings of St. Therese. Uh, she points out, and this is very consoling, that God will even use my, uh, my limitations and, and my mistakes uh, to advance uh, my work as an, as an archbishop. And that's part of what uh, I look to for Jesus to accomplish as my savior. To, to be able to do that as well. And I also then try to keep my life in good order and in balance and uh, hold myself accountable uh, for that. Uh, so I take my, my daily meditation. I don't skimp on my prayer. Uh, I also get some exercise, do all of those uh, natural and supernatural things to keep my life in balance. And my, uh, my spiritual director, holds me accountable for that. He, he asks me uh, how I'm doing on those things. I would imagine there's a lot of pressure too. I, I, it's funny that you shared that, uh, that piece of wisdom. I had heard a version of that. Obviously it was from somebody else, but one of my first pastors told me, <laughs> it's not as charitable. He said, you know, every day I look in the mirror and I say to myself, people are crazy and I'm not Jesus. So that's like <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, that's a, this is my first boss in the church. He said, that's what I do when I start, you know, every single morning. <laughs> and it did give me a special perspective when I was working at a parish. So. Mm. <laughs> no, but that's really helpful. I like that you mentioned, too, that uh, the regular things of our daily movements, keeping our lives in order, is an essential part of staying um, healthy and dealing with pressures. Mm. And and I and I'm try to remember that... It, I'm not alone in this. I mean, mm. I'm certainly aware uh, that my brother priests uh, are dealing with the same stresses. And uh, it's not just the, us clergy. Uh, I'm sure you, Mary, you, Mike, uh, you have stresses that you have to manage as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's by uh, managing them in faith and uh, that we give God glory. And that's our first responsibility is oh. to uh, glorify the Father and to be his, uh, his faithful sons and daughters. Amen. Well, given that question, Archbishop, about the pressures, is there, is there anything specific that our listeners and Mary and myself could, could pray for you? Do you have any special intentions that you'd like us to pray for you for this upcoming month? Let's, let's all continue to pray uh, for uh, our teachers and our students, and not only in our own Catholic schools, but in all schools, that uh, this uh, opening up of the new school year will be a blessing for all those involved. You got it. Archbishop, also, would you mind uh, closing us with a prayer and blessing? No, happy to do that. Uh, let's recur to the Memorare, to especially in these days when we celebrate so many uh, feast days of Our Lady. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided, 
Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Incarnate Word, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. 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 And may Almighty God bless all of you, Almighty God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Archbishop. Oh, thank you both. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.